You're listening to episode 101 of Two Views Movies podcast on Spider-Man Far From Home, sponsored by Buffalo Funds. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And we are talking Spider-Man Far From Home today, the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming and the first post-Endgame Marvel movie and our third MCU movie since March of this year. It is. Yeah, that's a lot of MCU to be taking in in just a three-month span. Well, especially when you get hit with in-game right there in the middle of it. You know, it's almost like a, a hangover from in-game. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that in our in-game episode. We were wondering how this was really going to go. I, I don't think at the time we were sure if this was the kickoff to four or not. I can't remember when that news kind of broke, whether when Far From Home was going to be either the you know kickoff to phase four or the, the end cap to phase three. And I think either way, we were not envious of the position that Far From Home was going to be in. Yeah, and if it's anybody, it should be Spider-Man, because Spider-Man has the most mass appeal that could hang there. If you tried to drop, you know, really any other character movie here, I think that would have struggled. But I think of any of them, Spider-Man can carry its own weight. Yeah, and especially considering what they tried to do in this movie, which we'll get into, it made the most sense, even story-wise, that this was going to be Spider-Man because of the relationship that he had had with Tony and the events of Endgame and then what that means for Peter going forward and what that means for the Avengers going forward. So they at least did a good job of of making sure that this movie was going to be that bridge into the next set of MCU movies coming out. But And not to get too much into it before we even get our, our intro stuff in, but I felt it was definitely an epilogue to the Phase 3 and not so much a lead into phase four. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And and we can get into that more later, but I, on the surface, I totally agree with that. So before we get too far into that, let's take a minute to recognize our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Buffalo Funds, a family of mutual funds based here in Kansas City. When the stock market goes down, it may be a great time to contribute to your individual retirement account or IRA. Don't wait until the end of the year. To get your free IRA investing report, go to buffalofunds.com slash podcast. You can open up an account online directly with the Buffalo Funds and choose from their mix of U.S., international, dividend, or income funds. That's buffalofunds.com slash podcast. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses must be considered carefully before investing. The summary and statutory prospectuses contain this and other important information about the investment company and may be obtained by calling 800-492-8332 or visiting buffalofunds.com. Read carefully before investing. Mutual fund investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. The Buffalo Funds are distributed by Quasar Distributors, LLC. As usual, thank you, Buffalo Funds, for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. And while we're here, don't forget to go out and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. We're everywhere that you can listen to us, so subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, basically anywhere, like I said. And then once you've listened, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get recognized and lets everybody know that you are enjoying the show, and maybe they will too. All right. Are we ready to get into this now? 
Let's get into some Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. Letterbox says that this is about Peter Parker and his friends go on a summer trip to Europe. However, they will hardly be able to rest. Peter will have to agree to help Nick Fury uncover the mystery of creatures that cause natural disasters and destruction throughout the continent. Directed by John Watts, who also did Spider-Man Homecoming. And as with most MCU movies, you have a long list of returning actors such as Tom Holland, Sam Jackson, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, Zendaya, Jacob Batalon, Tony Revolori, Martin Starr, Kobe Smulders, and then we're adding in JB Smoove, who's a teacher who was in, I think the, did you watch those shorts that it was like, it came out, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it was Peter Parker Goes to Driving School. I did not see that. Okay, yeah, they had this like series of YouTube videos where it's Peter Parker goes to driving school and JB Smoove was in that. And I, I totally forgot about those until after the movie. And I was like, is, did, was JB Smoove in the first one? And then I went and looked it up and I don't think he was, but I think he was in those shorts, which is what was throwing me off. No, I've never even, never even heard of those. Yeah. I mean, I know, uh, I know I saw a lot of Thor's, Thor's little mini shorts, and those are hilarious. So I'd like to see more, more Peter Parker when I can. <laughs> of course. I'll go look those up. And then the last but not least, I did not mention him because he's not a returning actor to the MCU, but we obviously have Jake Gyllenhaal making a splash as Mysterio in this movie. So that rounds out the cast. As I usually do with the Marvel movies, I am going to let you run the show because these are these are your pride and joy. These are your babies. I'm going to let you go with it. Yeah, and especially Spider-Man. Spider-Man and X-Men are, uh, are near and dear to my heart. That's what I read growing up. That's what what formed my belief system in life is Spider-Man. So, you know, <laughs> no, and I want to take it from a, from a high level first. Did this feel like it's getting too Sony to you? Uh, that's a dangerous loaded question. No, I, I don't think so because I, I equate Sony with not good comic book movies. And I felt like this was a very good comic book movie. So on the surface, I would say no. And, and while I did enjoy this, I felt like, it's getting, and I'll get there, it's, it's really when it comes down to the villains, of them just throwing away villains that have no, no meaning for no reason whatsoever, and I feel like that's the Sony way, and almost getting slapsticky. it's not, I just feel like they're, they're, their hands are in it, and I don't want them to be in it, I want to leave it in Marvel's hands. Well, like, I felt like there was a Marvel advisor standing over their shoulder the whole time, but I felt like Sony's getting more and more input and i don't like that i i guess i would argue a little bit on the villains aspect because one of the knocks on the mcu has always been that they do throw away villains they, they've never except for a few committed to you know long villains that return that have this big stature they basically have a throwaway guy who wants to take over the world or do something and that i think that's what we got here but that's that's kind of par for the course for mcu that's their norm no, no, I'm talking. I'm not even talking about Mysterio here. I'm talking about Sandman, Hydro Man, uh, Molten Man. They're just throwing throwing these characters away, like little mentions over here. But then we'll never see them again. They just wasted any potential that you could have done in the future. Sure, but I, I don't know. I guess maybe the MCU probably feels like those are not the kinds of bad guys that they're going to go with, and it made sense to try and wrap those up into. Mysterio who presents things as an illusion. So I, I get it because I truthfully, I don't want to see a movie where Spider-Man is trying to fight a big water monster or a big sand monster. That's just... No, I that, agree. And, that, and that's what even fighting it in this movie felt, felt sonified to me. 
is my new word. <laughs> Sonified. Yeah. Coin that. Sonified. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I get it though. I mean, it's a nod to some of the other villains in the comics, and this is the best way that you're going to be able to do that, and it makes total sense to me. If you're going to have a guy that creates illusions as his main source of power for being a bad guy, then it would make sense that he would do them in natural disasters and things like that. So I, I get it. It kind of logically makes sense to me. Well, and you mentioned, so I'm kind of tying all these, these thoughts into one thing. I'm front-loading uh, here, but Mysterio is one of my least favorite Spider-Man villains. Uh, the only thing that I enjoyed that Mysterio did was in the old man Logan uh comic book run where he made Wolverine see all these villains but they're really the X-Men and he kills them all Mm -hmm. and that was like the coolest thing that any villain's ever done and made Wolverine kill all all the X-Men and he had to live with that for the rest of his life and that was really cool now Mysterio's dead spoiler alert Right at the end of this, are we assuming he's dead? Uh, yes, I think you. I think that's a wise. I mean, they ran the vitals. Yeah, yeah, he's not coming back. Yeah, he's gone. So we we lose that. That's never going to happen. But Mysterio's just been kind of a boring villain to me. But I love the way that he looks like what he's supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, like he just came from from the page. Now I always thought he looked kind of stupid with the dome on his head. I never understood why he had a dome on his head. Uh, thought it was like one of those uh those things that comic artists you know that hide hands because they can't draw hands and like he, <laughs> right. he just, just couldn't quite get a face and so he just put a dome over his head right and so i always thought he looked kind of stupid but i i am glad that this is the mysterio that again le- leaps from the page because i put together a list here of all the villains that didn't look like they're supposed to in, in comic book movies wow yeah no because it i was i was impressed that they kept him looking so true i mean the easy one to point out is Apocalypse from mm-hmm. X-Men Apocalypse. Looked nothing like Apocalypse. <laughs> yes, Apocalypse did look like Ivan is. <laughs> Doomsday from uh, uh-huh. Batman vs. Superman. Terrible. Ares from Wonder Woman. Juggernaut in the, mm-hmm. in the Last Stand. They, they got a little bit better in, uh, in Deadpool. Uh, Sabretooth in X-Men Origins. Green Goblin twice. The weird helmet thing. <laughs> um, and then they try to mutate his face the second time. You got Electro, an amazing Spider-Man, the Lizard, Rhino. They made Rhino a mechanical robot. You got Doctor I'm, Doom. I'm sensing a pattern here where uh, Spider-Man is very much a culprit of villains that do not, or characters that do not look right to you. Well, mainly the the Amazing Spider-Man run that they did did not look right because uh, Doctor Octopus looked looked like Doctor Octopus was supposed to. So, tip of the hat. There you go. <laughs> you said Goblin twice, from Spider-Man one, and then listed every uh, villain in Spider-Man three. So you're giving credit yeah. in two for the Raimis, but every other one, no, right? Because they got sonified. So <laughs> I think Gal- Galactus, Ego, in Guardians, Steppenwolf, the latest Lex Luthor. Oh yeah, we got the Mandarin, Beast, in all the new X-Men, Killmonger. I mean. You just put him in a Black Panther suit. Let him wear his own stuff. Abomination and the Hulk <laughs> and Malekith and uh, and Thor Dark World. I mean, the design is there for you guys. I just don't get why they try to put their own stamp on it and just make him look stupid. I, I, I don't understand. But this one, kudos. 
Mysterio looks like Mysterio. It, it all built up towards your appreciation of Mysterio. Yes, yes. So I'm glad Mysterio. Now, as as dumb as even Jake Gyllenhaal mentions, get me out of this stupid suit. You know, at least you can call it a stupid suit as long as he's wearing the stupid suit. I don't care how you get him in there, but he looks like Mysterio. So I appreciate that. Which is it's weird that it's weird that for a guy who is wanting all this fame and notoriety, that's kind of his motivation for being Mysterio. He wants to be essentially the new Tony Stark to choose to not show his face is is interesting. I mean, I'm sure that plays into it from the whole special effects angle that this movie takes, but you would think that he'd want his face shown the whole time. That is true. That is true. But you mentioned his face. Wouldn't shield? I guess it's not really shield. But I feel like they have facial recognition software still. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you imagine that that Nick Fury has access to that? I would imagine so. And this guy was Tony Stark's right-hand man for how many years? Yeah, but would that have led him to be more or less trustworthy? But that's not even his real name. He's using a different name. His name isn't uh, whatever it was, Beck or whatever? Yeah, he said he invented Beck and then oh. Mysterio. So I don't, I don't know what his real name was supposed to be. Oh, I don't think I caught that. I thought his name actually was Quentin Beck. Oh, the second time I saw it was uh, during his little speech. Led him to believe that this backstory of Quentin Beck from a different universe. Or maybe he's pretending to play himself from an alternate universe. I don't know. Anyway, that was... <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I... there's a lot, lot, lot to unpack there, but... No, no, I, I, I get. I think that the big takeaway for everybody in that is that uh, you are not happy when there's stories or characters on a comic book page that, for some reason or another, they go away from. Because I, I don't know how many times I've heard you say it's all right there on the page. Why are you going away from it? Yeah, and I give a little bit of leniency to the vulture because the vulture just looks dumb. It doesn't make sense. So they had to do that. So he kind they kept the main things that made him look like the vulture, but then gave him a reason to be menacing. Sure. You you have to take the more ridiculous ones. Although I would say, you know, Mysterio is a completely ridiculously looking villain, and they did a great job of taking that and making it absurd and running with it. But they also had a nice backstory to be able to round out why it might look like that. Yeah, the the multiverse theory that they just spit in the face of everybody hoping that that was where they were going to go. I think that I felt like it was pretty clear that it might not be where they were going because I, I can't see Marvel giving away something like that in the trailer, which is exactly what they did. I mean, that that was in, I don't remember, I think you said when we were talking before the movie that you don't remember seeing it in the first trailer. So I don't remember which one because I, I felt like I only saw one trailer, but I know in one of the trailers they come right out and talk about the multiverse theory and he's from a different universe and it was a hole in the, in the multiverse was torn open because of Thanos and yeah, they completely threw everybody for a loop, which I I kind of expected, like I said, because that's just, I can't believe you just give away something that big in a trailer if you were really going to do it. Yeah. And I try to stay away from all trailers on this one. Again, it's a movie that I know I'm going to see no matter what. And I didn't want any spoilers because they just tend to drop stuff in there, but I'm glad that uh, I didn't see that. Although, I have seen some of these trailers since then, and there's an ungodly amount of scenes that are in the trailers that aren't even in the movie. Uh, like what? Have you, have you, I don't remember. Have you gone back and, and, and watched any trailers yet? No. Uh, a lot with Peter Parker and um, Nick Fury. Okay. Um, there's, there's some with Peter Parker talking to police officers. 
Oh yeah. There, like there, there's a whole bunch that just didn't make the movie at all. And I don't know if that's intentional. We're just going to put a bunch of, <laughs> of other scenes in the trailer. So we don't waste scenes, which I kind of like and kind of don't. But yeah, it's uh, I'm I guess we're waiting for some deleted scenes on the the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally forgot about that because that the main trailer opens I think with that him talking to those cops about how he's gonna leave and go on a trip or whatever, and he's still wearing the Iron Man suit at that time or Iron Spider suit, and he uh, yeah, that's not in there. I completely forgot about that. Which again, like you said, is a a double-edged sword because if there's a scene that looks like it's gonna be really cool and you don't get that, that's disappointing, but. Um, I like that it gets the point of the movie across without burning up any scenes that you might then see in the movie. Yeah. So overall, you know, I, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think that you're getting too big for Spider-Man. And I know they kind of had that theme going on of he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And they mentioned that at least, I think, four times is that sure. he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And that's really where, if you look at his rogues gallery, he is very similar in that regard to a Batman, mm-hmm. uh, he has a bunch of low-level villains that outside of Gotham really mean nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, like, they're not, the Joker's not threatening the world. It, it, that's just not his, his goal, you know? Right. And that's, when, when you span, you know, Carnage or Venom or Electro, Green Goblin, none of them are trying to take over the world or do anything on a global scale. It's the it's the neighborhood. They're killing people, and he's trying to stop them, you know. And mm-hmm. that's uh, or robbing banks or whatever. And so, this took him to a global, kind of save the world type scale. And I and I hope they revert back to to bring it back to the neighborhood. Yeah, I I think they did a good job of making it bigger, but. Honestly, I interpreted it more as just like a, like the neighborhood was moving. Like it, it's almost like they don't. I think you and I talked about this. Like they, they're tired of blowing up New York, right? Like <laughs> right. There's only so many times in the MCU they can continue to blow up New York and wreak havoc on that. So their idea was, okay, let's put Peter on a field trip and have him go out to Europe, and we'll destroy some of Europe for a little while. And I think they did a good job of keeping it really tight-knit. Because yes, these are big elemental monsters, at least what you think in the beginning, and there's all this damage happening across the world, but it still felt like every city they went to in Europe was just mainly about the high school kids and not really about anybody else or even saving the entire world. Like I know they show news clips and they talk about how when they think the monsters are real, that that one can you know absorb all the energy from the core of the earth, basically, and then the world will be destroyed. So it has that grandiose feel to it. But I think they did a pretty good job of making it feel like Spider-Man's neighborhood is, it, this sounds like a Sesame Street or a Mr. Rogers thing, but it, it's it's about <laughs> the people in the neighborhood. So as that, has his class moved around, like that's all he was really ever involved with, not as much like the city of Prague or anything like that. So I, I get what you're saying, um, but I, I think it still had that small feel and I also think, though, that like the whole, I think the cat's out of the bag a little bit on Spider-Man being bigger than just the neighborhood after he's already, you know, been in the Civil War fight and then he's helped, um, you know, end Thanos and stuff like that. And they're clearly positioning him as the next Tony Stark. I mean, that's mainly his source of internal conflict. This whole movie is how can he be the next Tony Stark, which Tony was was global as well. So um, I don't know that you're going to get your wish on that. I think that I think they do a good job with Spider-Man of keeping the Spider-Man movies 
feeling differently than what his role is in the rest of the MCU. His role in the rest of the MCU is huge, but then these movies feel small and kind of funny and high schoolish. And I, I think they like that. And I think it's working for him. Yeah. And so if you go to like the comics, like he'll Spider-Man will come and help out the Avengers on these big level threats. And he is one of the more powerful members, you know, just based on his skill set and strength and spider sense. And he can do a lot, but then he always comes back to fighting basically again, like bank robbers and things like that. And so I was like, you know, that's, this is too big for me. I'll help when I, when needed, but come back to his little world. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping that this would be more of that, you know, and <laughs> one kind of the, some of the running jokes that they have in Spider-Man comics are these, always these like bank robbers or perch snatchers that he constantly has to keep, like, like he almost has a relationship with them because he's always stopping them from doing what they're doing. It's like, how are you, how are you still on the street type of thing? Like, mm-hmm. how do you keep getting out and, and doing <laughs> this again? You know, so, and that's one of the things with Spider-Man is he quips a lot when he's fighting the villains. I didn't think we got any of that, but I think that's a lot to do with he's fighting drones, you know, and giant water monsters. Right. Um, and by the time he got face to face with Mysterio, stakes were, were really high where quips don't really make sense at that point. Right. But I was hoping that there would be, you know, some, again, the low level villains that he can quip and fight. And his jokes are intended to distract, you know, the guys that he's fighting and annoy them, you know, while he's fighting them. Uh, and I don't think we got any of that really as Spider-Man at all. No, I, I would agree with that. I think, but I also think you kind of hit it head on, which is that he wasn't chasing low level criminals. I mean, the minute, the, the first incident that we see he's fighting the water monster and it only goes bigger from there and then like you said by the time he squares off with anybody that's human where it would make sense for him to quip about you know there's too much you know bad blood between him and uh jake gyllenhaal for it to feel like that spider-man quippiness so yeah i I think you you identified the problem and i think you found the cause of it right away so I, i would agree with all of that well and i do like the drone addition because mysterio does a bunch of illusions but you can't touch them like how are they you know, causing real damage and they added the drone component of something he could actually fight. So that was, that was smart thinking of let's take it one step further and make it a real villain, or I guess a real threat. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the drones worked great in the end because it gave Spider-Man an opportunity to really on film show all the things he's capable of when he's fighting you know, normal people, like you said, there's only so much you can uh, get of his skill set by just slinging webs and swinging from building to building and, you know, webbing up a, a bank robber. That That's not going to give you a whole lot of indication of his skills, but having the drones, I mean, not only did it make sense from a Mysterio plotline of how he pulls off these illusions, but it really set up a really cool sequence at the end where Spider-Man can you know, leap and web and sling from all these different drones. There's like a thousand drones that he's trying to take down and he's doing it in all these different creative ways and he's getting beat up. So I felt like that was one of the cooler Spider-Man sequences we've ever seen in a movie because it was just this constant web slinging. And it reminded me of playing the video game where uh, just constant movement all over the place, acrobatic, using all of his skills, using all of his little gadgets. It was, it was a really cool setup to be able to have those drones pay off like that. No, I agree. I agree. Those are some of the best scenes in the movie. I, I do want to talk about Mysterio a little bit because I think you and I had this problem and, and I, I hate doing this with movies where you kind of hone in on something and maybe pick something apart that you shouldn't. 
So I'm going to pick it apart, even though I didn't really, in the movie, it didn't really affect my viewing because I kind of stopped myself every time I would do it. But when you know that the whole setup is that he's using these drones for illusions, and you kind of touched on this a minute ago when you said, okay, how did they actually create that damage? Well, they explained it because the drones are actually doing the damage. So they're, they're creating the illusion and then doing the damage that the illusion would do. If you let yourself go too far down that path of like how this all works, it kind of starts to fall apart. And so I just, I kind of cut myself off from doing it. But the one thing on a second watch, because you and I obviously both got our two views in on this, on this go round, but the one thing that bothered me the most was when he's fighting, I think Mysterio is fighting the water uh, elemental in the beginning. He is able to like talk and interact with Spider-Man and Later on in the movie, you see that basically all of Mysterio's illusions are scripted. Like he has an actual script. They choreograph all the special effects in the fights. So then I was left wondering, well, how did they account for Spider-Man getting involved? Like he couldn't have pre-recorded knowing that Spider-Man was going to end up in this exact position on this building to be able to talk to him. And because Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio is not actually in the illusion doing the fighting. He's just standing there you know, talking into a helmet. And so I think that all starts to fall apart if you think about it too logically, but I'm not suggesting that anybody should do that. And I think it's better just to kind of go with the flow and be like, okay, I understand what they're doing here and what they're trying to say. He's setting up illusions and everything and just go like that because it does start to fall apart for me if you you think about it too much. Yeah, and that's where (laughs) I had the same second viewing issue uh, as you did with the fighting the water monster, um, when he gets punched on the bridge and he's soaked, if that <laughs> yeah. was an illusion, like are the drones shooting water? Cause they never show that, you right. know, like that wouldn't, that didn't make any sense how that yeah. would happen. Uh, agreed. And I think it's one of those things where when you watch movies, you know, I'm going to throw one out there because everybody thinks about it this way, but like The Sixth Sense, when you go back and rewatch it, you're looking for all the things that you missed the first time, and you hope that when you watch it that second time, it it adds to it, like, oh, that's so good, you know, they did that and that, and I didn't realize that the characters weren't actually looking at him, you know, stuff like that, but when you watch Spider-Man the second time, like, okay, how did they pull off these illusions and how did they do that, it, it actually works the other way, where you're like, mm, I don't think that works based on how you set that up, and again, it's very, very nitpicky, and I'm not. It didn't affect my score. It didn't affect my rating of the movie because I'm I'm okay with an MCU movie being like, all right, I, I get it. I get what your your thesis is that he can do all of this with these drones, and I'll just buy into that, and we'll we'll go along with it. <laughs> well, and this isn't a a movie logic thing, uh, but when when Jake is on the bridge and he's got the plastic helmet around him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how it wasn't touching. How was the helmet floating? It was like a floating helmet. I didn't think it was floating. It looked like it was like resting on his shoulders weirdly. But it wasn't touching his shoulders. Because truly, it wasn't. the second time I watched it, I'm like, okay, maybe it's in the back. And they showed him from the back. I'm like, dang it. I was like, <laughs> maybe this is a CGI thing that, that they put on there, but it's not touching his hair. So it's not like resting on his head. And I was, I kept looking at, I was like, how is this plastic thing surrounding him? And it's just kind of floating there. Interesting. And it really bugged me that I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm guessing that it's CGI that they just added that over, over Jake later, but I'm sure, but it was a, 
And then when Spider-Man punched it and broke it, I was like, okay, maybe I can see here. But then it fell off and it's, it was no longer in the scene. It's not, it wasn't even there on the floor or anything. Yeah. I didn't catch that. But anyway, that, that was me nitpicking, but I was like, I was like, how is that? How's that hanging on over his head? I kind of wondered, I think you and I talked about this afterwards, like what was even the point of his real life fishbowl? The one thing I could think of is that he's not wearing the Edith glasses in the, in those scenes. So when he's wearing the fishbowl, he's somehow put Edith in the fishbowl. So it gives him like more of this, allows him to see the drones. He's able to control Edith like all through one little setup as opposed to just wearing the glasses. Yeah, I figured it was kind of like Iron Man's helmet where he has all the yeah. information that's in there. We just can't see it. But they didn't ever give us a his yeah. his vision of it. It's just, right. oh no, no, he's just wearing a helmet. That yeah, you can see I, I agree. Uh, it was weird to me that they kept the fishbowl concept outside of his Mysterio illusion. But um, I'm okay with that. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I'm, I, I like that, I guess, than not. Because he still looks Mysterio-ish, kind of. Sure. But that's the kind of thing that him him in his little power suit is is like what Sony would have done on their own to make Mysterio. Uh he kinda has a bubble head, but that's it. <laughs> right. Like that's that that's what I expected, you know, from Sony if they were making Mysterio of the only thing that makes this Mysterio ish is he has a bubble head kind <laughs> of. Yeah. Uh, so I, one of the things I wanted to talk about that I really liked is I I feel like this was one of the better Peter Parker stories that we got, and mainly because I'm so sick of seeing the Uncle Ben angle. And I know the MCU just kind of skipped past that, and, I, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But I like how they replaced the Uncle Ben, Peter trying to figure out his responsibility of his powers, et cetera, et cetera. I like how they replaced that with a Tony Stark relationship in um, Homecoming and as you know in the Avengers movies as well. But I really like that in this movie. It, his growth is all about how he tries to replace Tony Stark and whether he feels like he's up to that task. And because I, I feel like it's a little bit of a meta commentary too, because I think that's what a lot of MCU fans expect is them or is Spider-Man to replace Tony Stark. And I like that they baked that into the movie where he's, he knows he's Spider-Man. He knows he's capable of doing things, but he doesn't think he can live up to Tony. And that's his huge like personal conflict. And I felt like that worked really, really well. And happy being there to kind of prod that along was good too. But it's my favorite sort of development story for any Spider-Man not named Spider-Verse that we've ever gotten. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, the scene with him and Happy uh, on the plane where he's building his new suit uh, was probably yes. one of the best scene, non-fighting scenes in the movie. Uh, you know, yep, hit, I agree. Hit the ACDC and Happy just kind of watching him you know, kind of gave that nod of, yeah, this is, he's, he's doing his thing. And that's kind of little Tony. Yep. His whole speech about not even Tony could live up to Tony was really good. And it, it, it worked really well. And I was, for the first time, I really felt like I, I've heard a, or I've, I've experienced a Peter Parker angle in a live action film that I actually thought was really well done. Cause most of the time I just feel like they're repetitive and generic and come off kind of hokey. And they didn't really get into a whole lot of that in homecoming. It, you know, there really wasn't that his, his conflicts were more external in, in, uh, homecoming, but in far from home, they, they took it, you know, back to being just him. Well, I think at homecoming, it was more of him just wanting to be relevant. You know, I can do these things and I, and I can help, but nobody's letting me help. Right. And I'm just trying to prove myself, you know, as a, as a hero, as a, as a man. 
you know, and he wasn't allowed to do that yet. He's just a kid, you know, stay on the sidelines type of thing. Mm-hmm. But here, yeah, it was kind of discovering himself opposed to trying to prove himself. And that we did get our first Uncle Ben reference for the first time in three movies. Yeah, I caught that. And it was the uh, his his suitcase had Uncle Ben's initials on it, mm-hmm. which you would have thought Aunt May would have been a little bit more uh, upset about that it all blew up, but um, <laughs> but the suitcase is gone. Yeah, she even references she, she's it. moved on. She's got happy now. <laughs> she goes, "Oh yeah, you don't have any luggage. It all blew up. Oh, no, not oh, it sucks that your Uncle Ben's <laughs> luggage, you know, that you took over there. Right. But no mention of him at all, other than his initials." Yeah, I, I'm. I like it. We've seen it enough. We can move past it. We don't need to know everything about it. I think that was the smartest decision the MCU ever did was to just be like, we all get it. We know where he's coming from. So let's just move past it. Well, I mean, the same thing with we talk about this all the time with Batman and Superman. Of everybody knows the origin story, mm-hmm. and if you don't, then go back and you can watch a ton of movies that always start the same origin story. Right now, Batman's parents being killed you know, made him Batman while Uncle Ben, you know, saying with great power comes great responsibility is what made Spider-Man, but they didn't need to rehash that. We don't need to see him being bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, we don't need that anymore. You can just jump off point to assume the audience knows because they should by now. Right. I agree. Um, So what do you think about any of the acting? Because I really thought that the relationship between Tom Holland and Zendaya as Peter Parker and MJ, I, I thought it was really quirky and very well done. And it's clearly my favorite Parker MJ that we've had in any movie. I thought they did a great job of acting like awkward teenagers. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, th- th- these are, tw- these are 22 year old actors who clearly have no problem, you know, in front of people. And they, <laughs> they're very awkward with each other, with other people, even a, just in life, and I thought they both did a fantastic job with that. I love them together. Yep, I couldn't agree more. That that really was the crux of the movie as it came to the Peter Parker side of the story was just him and what how he feels about MJ and chasing the girl, and he thinks she's going after a different guy. Like that whole high school awkwardness and them not really wanting to talk to each other about it, and even the even the end after the battle's all done and they go to kiss and everything. It, it's super awkward. So it which you know, is right for high school. That makes sense. Instead of like the, you know, Tobey Maguire one where they're wise beyond their years when it comes to, you know, relationships and stuff. This actually played out like a, like you said, like a very quirky high school relationship. Yeah, no, I thought they did did that very, very well. Yeah. The, uh, so I liked the nods to both Cap and Tony. Mm-hmm. So I liked, so basically he's carrying the mantle for both of them. Like when he grabbed the, uh, the shield and the thing that looks like a hammer mm-hmm. and standing on, on the, and I wanted him to twirl it, you know, like a hammer to, to basically mimic, <laughs> yeah. you know, cap with the hammer. But that's kind of the, the, the shot that I, I had in my head of that's cap with his shield and the hammer. And mm-hmm. now Spider-Man's in that same frame. Love that. Yep. I agree. That was good. I caught that too, especially the shield. The hammer was a little bit less, I think, but it was there, but the, the shield, it's the, uh, the London or the Tower Bridge sign, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And then uh, and then Happy with the Shield is one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. <laughs> I didn't hear what he said the first time because everybody was laughing. Right, So after he chucks it, I, I what does he say the second time? It's like, uh, how does Cap do that or something like that? Right, right. Uh, which I don't think was necessary because him just throwing the shield and you know what he was trying no. to do. <laughs> right, yeah. They did a good job of making it look exactly like he was trying to replicate Cap's form. But yes, that, that was a good laugh. <laughs> so 
they end this movie with uh, J. Jonah Jameson, mm-hmm. you know, brought back from the the Raimi Spider verse, if you will. Yep. We, and some people yep, we got J.K. Simmons back. And some people are saying, well, does that mean that the multiverse exists? And I took it as J.K. Simmons has blown up since Raimi. And if you can get if you can get <laughs> right. him as you know J. Jonah Jameson back again, then do it. And so it's just more of fan service than actually plot lines. And then uh, the other second time I was watching it, it made it sound like uh, he was a brand new podcaster type person, which led some people to believe that he's fake and he's an illusion himself. Did you get any of that? Oh, no. So I, I actually think... I think it's a combination of everything that you've mentioned, and I'm not the the biggest Spider-Man person in the world, but I think what's happening is you had Spider-Verse come out, so there's one introduction into the multiverse, then you have the MCU people who know of the multiverse, and you have the trailer who talks about the multiverse, right? So you set all this in people's head already that this, you know, this might be something that's happening. And then they go away from it in the movie, right? So I think everybody's like, okay, no multiverse, we're 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 good. Well, then they bring in J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. You're like, well, wait a minute. You know, he was in the Tobey Maguire version. So is this the same guy or is it not? And to your point, is this a confirmation of the multiverse or not? I think, oh, and the other thing that's happening is in the PS4 game, I know that the Daily Bugle, like you'll, you'll be flying through the the city as Spider-Man, you know, web slinging and everything. And you'll hear J Jonah Jameson come on in like a podcast exactly like that. So he's become more of like a, an Alex Jones info wars guy where he hosts this anti Spider-Man, basically uh, either podcast or underground radio network. So I think you have all these different angles of Spider-Man in pop culture right now, just clashing with one another. And I don't think there's any way to avoid that. And unfortunately I think, in this movie, they kind of lean into it. I tend to fall where you have, which is, I think it's just that it's a, it's a nod. You know, they, they understand that this is not a multiverse. This is not a continuation of the Tobey Maguire world. It's just JK Simmons has gotten huge. He was the perfect casting choice way back then. Let's just keep it going and let's bring him back. And, you know, hopefully it's just a little Easter egg that people will be able to understand and look past and not read too much into it. I, I don't blame people for reading too much into it, but I think it's just simple casting is all I think. No, I agree. But having him as a podcaster or a radio host makes a whole lot more sense in 2019 than a newspaper editor. Um, you're not going to yes. have that relationship between him and Peter Parker that, uh, you know, him working for the paper kind of right under his nose type of thing. But I don't think they're, they're going that route at all. I agree. I, I don't think you... I don't think you need to go that route, right? Like, do you need to see Peter Parker, you know, having a job at the Daily Bugle, posting pictures of Spider-Man? Like, I I think that's so inconsequential these days. Like, I didn't, I mean, look at, uh, look at Man of Steel and, and, and Superman. Like, you know, it, do you really need him to go into the Daily Planet? Like, who cares about that anymore? It's such an old thing. Like, nobody cares. Just move on. Well, the thing with, Spider-Man has always been, how do I pay for any of this? I mean, he's a teenage kid, even out of high school. It's trying to make it all work. And he found a way mm-hmm. to complement his spider life with, you know, how do I capitalize on this without being that really 
<laughs> you know, using the powers. And mm-hmm. so he takes pictures of basically himself. And I thought that's what he was doing as he was web slinging at the at the end was like maybe making a, a YouTube channel of some sort that he could, you know, get ads to, to to pay for things right um but he was he was just sending that to, to mj but i thought uh they would do something like that to try to to show he's trying to make ends meet now aunt may doesn't look like she's struggling like she has in the past she seems to be doing all right right and now with tony as a benefactor i doubt happy would ever let him you know be on the outs yeah he's on the stark payroll now is how i interpret that yeah so he won't need to have that part-time job he may want to to you know Pave his own way, you know, but that's a uh, right. He doesn't. He doesn't have that need like he did in in the comics. Of he's just an everyday guy trying with everyday problems, but also trying to be Spider Man at the same time. And that's kind of the the fun balance between uh, Spider Man and almost every other hero. You know, Batman's freaking rich. You know, he doesn't have to worry about that stuff. <laughs> right. You know, so they left us with uh, the world knowing who Spider Man is. So Mysterio told everybody that Peter Parker is Spider Man. Yeah. So I'm guessing, I'm hoping that you would think that that would make the world big. I hope that it makes his world small now. And so now we're going to see a lot more of Aunt May in danger, MJ in danger, and these people, you know, bring it back to his his life. And so I think it lends itself to, you know, more encapsulated villains of threatening his family that he has to stop. Yeah, I think it will. And I actually, I wondered in the movie the first time I watched this if the if this was a slip up or if they intentionally did it. And now I think they intentionally did it, knowing where they were going to go with that mid credit scene. But the right after Happy chucks that shield and they're in the vault and they're all telling their truths, you know, him and MJ and Ned, and he says, "I'm in love with Spider Man's aunt." And I remember sitting there thinking, like, "Well, that's a dead giveaway <laughs> right? because if they see you dating Aunt May, then they're going to put two and two together." So they clearly know that. The, who spider-man is now but then they they just got away from it in the end because yeah i mean it makes sense why you would do that line then but at the time i was like mm, that's not gonna hold up well right right but but i, I think it, instead of from a global scale that really brings it back to protecting his family and it can be you know even somebody like uh craven the hunter who uses his family as bait because everybody knows who he is now you know why he's hunting spider-man or you know i don't think they're gonna go green goblin yeah i hope not again uh at least not for a long time. Although, and we talked about this a little bit because we saw saw the movie together. We were driving driving back. Of uh, Flash Thompson mm-hmm. is I feel like they're they made him rich rich kid, mm-hmm. and they had these weird drop ins of, hey mom, hey dad, I haven't heard from either of you for a while, and nobody picked him up at uh, the airport. It was just a weird drop in, especially at the airport at the end. Of, oh, nobody came to pick me up. Um, that I feel like they're making him the Osborne, Harry Osborne character. Yeah, I think that's a definite possibility. I I hope they don't because we don't need that. I think just like the Uncle Ben angle, we've all seen the Green Goblin way too much that I just think you're better off avoiding it. But yeah, those I didn't catch the text the first time. So when he's when he puts on Edith and he can see what everybody's texting. But I do know that the airport scene where he's like, oh, mom couldn't make it when he says that to the driver, they they show that. And it's a I remember both times I'm like, oh, that sticks out like a sore thumb. Like they really wanted us to to understand that scene or not not understand it, but to at least, you know, acknowledge it. Yeah, because I think if you 
didn't have anything on Flash other than him being a uh, what is he? His Flash mob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that if he did turn into Green Goblin, say even in the next movie, that you'd be like, well, that came out of left field, right? You know. And so they're trying to drop these not so subtle hints of something's going on in the Flash that we don't understand. Yep, I agree. But then, and so not. And I've had some issues with how they've done Flash because Flash is supposed to be the, uh, you know, the football star and the the big bully that that picks on, on Peter and whatnot. And you've always he always is intimidating to Peter, and the guy they cast for Flash isn't. You know, he's actually smaller than Peter. Mm-hmm. And then they they brought in uh, the the new guy who didn't get blipped, and we didn't talk about the blip at all. Now that I I say that. But I feel like they tried to make him kind of the, the Flash Thompson character also of the the big strong jock guy that's going after MJ and and so Brad. I, I thought Brad, yeah. I thought that was interesting how they kind of brought in that character because they didn't really have it in Flash. Yeah, and I actually the more I think about because I'm not married to any pre existing idea of what Flash is, but I kind of like how they're how they did that because you know, I think back when Spider-Man was created, bullies were always the football guys and the big jocks and they pick on the nerds and all that stuff. And I just think in today's world, that doesn't hold up very well. In today's world, you know, you can bully somebody, you know, just without being physically bullying. You can, you know, antagonize them on social media. And, you know, Flash is always calling Peter names. I forgot what he calls him. But in both movies, he's just always degrading to Peter, even though he loves Spider-Man, which I think is a great, you know, kind of juxtaposition that they do in that movie. But I like that they're getting away from the stereotypical, oh, this guy's just a big jock bully and going with just, hey, you know, anybody can be a bully in, in 2019 and just just being a jerk. So I, I'm good with that. Did you like him getting nut punched? <laughs> yes, that was a small, <laughs> that was in the trailer, but that, that was a good little, because of course, like, like you said, like, that's what would happen in high school. You're out there live streaming and your friend walks by and sack taps you. I mean, that hurts and that's what, that's what happens. <laughs> that is what high school boys do. <laughs> so, so let's go back to the the blip. Yes, I, I'm glad they explained not only what happened, but also um, gave it a name and even, yes. and even a charity for those that have been displaced by the blip. Yeah, the whole opening to Far From Home is great because it's that cheesy Whitney Houston. I will always love you with a really bad PowerPoint with watermarked images and terrible transitions. <laughs> it's exactly what we would have experienced if we were in high school, you know, they're trying to be cool yet serious. And it's just, it was the perfect way of explaining kind of resetting what happened. Cause there was a lot of questions about that at the end of end game. People were like, well, wait, did, did Ned, you know, get snapped and how old is everybody? And they explained it in a two minute PowerPoint presentation for the school, you know, AV, you know, thing. It, it was just, it was perfect. Great way to open the movie and, and reset everybody's um, level of where we're at in the MCU. Yeah, so and then they showed the band, you know, popping up on the on the court, you know, <laughs> which was great. Right. Uh, okay, that's where they were, and so put them back. And then mm-hmm. and then it has the and so of course, if you want to dive all into movie logic, your your mind's going of gosh, five years, a lot of things can happen in five years. And then um, you have Aunt May raising money for those that mention, you know, like okay, what would have happened? Well, mm-hmm. well, people would have moved into their apartments. You know, people would have moved on and got, taken their jobs and, you know, things like that. That uh, That's what she's raising money for is to help <laughs> right. blip the victims. And the teacher <laughs> right. mentioning that his wife pretended to be blipped. Oh, that was good. And I was like, wait, how'd yeah. that work? Oh, I guess that she just awesome. ran away when everybody else got ghosted. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they all came back, and she's like, "Oh crap!" So we we kind of went off on the mid credit scene, but the the post credit scene where we realized that Fury and Hill were scrolls the whole time. What did that do for you? It did next to nothing for me. Okay. Because it was the good scrolls that we knew is Ben Mendelsohn. Yep. And it's not like it's always been Ben Mendelsohn. I mean, because right. they showed Fury immediately after that. And, I mean, it was kind of funny of saying, you know, everybody keeps asking where the Avengers are, and I didn't know how to answer that, you know, type of thing of I'm playing, mm-hmm. I'm trying to play you while you're on this vacation. But I thought it was, it would have been better had it just been two scrolls that we don't know that look at each other, you know, and then cut to black type of thing. Yeah. So then you don't know if the scrolls are good or the scrolls are bad. But now, we have this big spaceship full of scrolls, but they've been around since the nineties and fury has been working with them since the nineties, but they're not bad. So like secret invasion, Mm-mm. you know, type of plot plot line of, Oh, anybody could be a scroll, but they're good. So what are you going to do with that? Right. Yeah. I genuinely don't know. I, I had the same as a non comic book reader. I, I know of the scroll invasion, but I know the scrolls are good in this universe. So I didn't really know what we were getting out of that other than just a, you know, ha wink nod. I will say that I thought Nick Fury felt different the whole movie. Like just some of the jokes he was making and the way he was acting. I was like, this is a little bit of a weird Nick Fury. And then I was also thinking that it was weird that he wouldn't have seen Beck for who he is, for Nick Fury having all the resources and the tools at his disposal that he would get caught off guard by somebody at like Mysterio that seems really sort of basic in his motivations and what he's doing. But then it all makes sense in the end because that's not really Nick Fury. So kudos to Samuel L. Jackson, at least from my standpoint. I felt like something was off with Nick Fury the whole time and it seemed like he was acting perfectly, right? Like it was Nick Fury just a little bit off and then that was explained. But he kind of hinted at that with uh, I've been gone for five years and the world's changed and I don't know anybody. You know, and so you're kind of thinking, is he just trying to catch up and doesn't have his contacts and doesn't have shield? And, and so you're thinking he's kind of off. And then, you know, when he's talking to Happy yeah. and she goes, yeah, he didn't have any suspicions whatsoever. Right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and so I was like, but it makes a whole lot more sense when and that's not him at all. Because Fury suspects everybody yeah. of it, everything all the time. And I just don't really know what it sets up for the rest of the MCU other than, you know, Nick Fury is capable of going in space and hanging out with scrolls. Now I don't, I don't know that it makes a, I mean, Marvel is usually really good about that stuff. They're, they're 20 moves ahead. So I'm sure this has something to do that we just don't know yet. But at the time sitting here right now, I just don't know what it sets up other than kind of just a wink and a nod to something that we already know is, is, is in the universe, which is scrolls and, you know, yeah, that they can shapeshift, which we knew. Yeah, and I think it takes away from anything that they could do in the future, really. And I, and I just mentioned that a little bit ago. It's just why is that? Because the oh, anybody could be a scroll is only a question that you would ask if you were scared of scrolls. Sure. You know, if I'm talking to you and you're a scroll, oh my gosh, but you're just a scroll who likes movies and wants to talk to me on a podcast. Okay. It's like, so, so what? That's not good. That's not so good TV. Different? You know? Yeah. yeah it, right. It was different. Okay. It yeah. wasn't Nick Fury. It was this guy, but he's not doing anything malicious. So, so what? 
you know, and it looks like right. he's hand in hand with all the scrolls that are left in the world. Although they did drop a uh, a Kree reference in there. I don't know if you heard. Yes, I caught that the second time. Kree sleeper cells. Right. And so are they making the Kree, you know, these, the sleeper cells, they, like they mentioned, like they're the ones that Kree could be anywhere and they're just flipping those two? I I don't know. I, I think I think what you said actually just sums up my overall feelings for that last credit scene, which was kind of like, okay, so what? That's what I mean. I don't know how it's a wink and a nod, but I don't know that it's really setting up much that at least that I can see for the future phases. It's just more of a like, okay, Easter egg. Cool. Move on. Right. Right. Although, you know, if everybody's a scroll, now you're going to start cycling through. Anybody could have been a scroll through the MCU so far because they, he's been doing that since the nineties. So Tony's not really dead. It was a scroll. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate retcon possibility it's like having a time machine like you can just you can get your way out of anything except when you die you turn back into a scroll so tony is not a scroll he's dead maybe we didn't see his body that's true and we never saw black <laughs> widow so we don't know what happened to her yeah but, but would that have worked if uh hawkeye thought he loved a scroll and would he have gotten a soul gem <laughs> if it wasn't really her right yeah <laughs> That's all the games you have to start playing once you introduce stuff like this. So, I'm running out of things to say. How about you? Yep, me too. Let's get on with it. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say. Are you ready? So, what did you end up getting it, and why? Uh, I gave it a four, uh, for all the reasons I said before. I just think it's a really good movie. Now, I think one thing we should add into this is... Um, our ranking of Spider-Man movies. Now, I don't think we need to do full rankings, but just generally speaking, I would uh, Spider-Verse is my favorite, and I would put Homecoming, even though I give Homecoming a four, I would put it above this, and then I would have Far From Home, and then we could just you know do whatever with every other instance of Spider-Man before this. I don't really care, because the MCU movies are all better than the Raimi's and the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but I gave this a four. For all the things I mentioned before, I just thought it was a really good movie. I like that they're keeping Spider-Man in his own little world, it feels like. And then they bring him into the larger MCU through other people's movies, like Avengers and stuff. I just thought it was a really good kind of romantic, high school, you know, fun movie that they that they did pretty well all the way around. I, I had some nitpick things I didn't care for, but overall I enjoyed it, and it's just slightly less than Homecoming for me. Yeah, so it, it's number three on my list for Spider-Man movies. Uh, it's funny because I just got a little time hop on Facebook that showed my homecoming poster. And it said, finally, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, now I'm going to misquote myself, but it's finally a, a movie that represents the character well type of thing. That's not what I said. but <laughs> Okay. Misquoting yourself. I love that. <laughs> but it, it's they finally did it justice with this Peter Parker. And, and, and I loved homecoming. And that's still... Uh, better than this movie. So I ended up giving it a four. I have a rewatched Into the Spider-Verse, and that is just such a revolutionary type movie that it's just better um, than both. Because you get more spider people, the better. Agreed. Uh, I do have some, you know, issues with, with modern villain and, and things like that, but um, it's you get Peter Parker and Miles uh, in the same same shot, then I'm I'm good with that. So both of those are better than this, and then these are all head and shoulders over what we've got in the past. Yep, we are pretty much in lockstep on that. So your your favorite moment? I I had a couple of close ones. I was debating between 
uh, MJ and Peter swinging at the end. I don't know why. I just thought that that was really well done. It didn't look cheesy. It Every time you see that in other movies, it just hasn't really had the same feel, but I really enjoyed that. But I ended up going with when Spider-Man gets put in Mysterio's illusion, where he just, you know, he's in the warehouse, but there's all this crazy stuff happening, glass falling, and it's just illusion after illusion after illusion. And the the Iron Man zombie comes out of the grave. There's all of that scene just reminded me so much of the Batman Arkham games when Batman would get poisoned by Scarecrow and have these really crazy illusions and you'd have to go through them. It it felt exactly like that. And I just thought that was a really cool concept, a cool way of showing how manipulative those illusions could be and not just, oh, I'm making people think that there's a big attack happening. He could really mess with Peter's sense of time and space. And I liked that it also messed with his, you know, they call it the Peter tingle through the whole movie, but his spidey senses, it was really throwing him off because he wasn't able to use those as effectively as he could. And I just thought that was a really unique moment for any marvel movie and i thought it was really well executed so that mysterio illusion was my favorite moment i'm glad you brought up the old peter tingle um i, I had it down here in my notes and i <laughs> skipped over it uh i like that they're finally bringing that into the fold so he's finally using mm-hmm. his fire sense really the only thing that we've seen is kind of his um you know the hair rise when when thanos was was coming mm-hmm. type of thing and they never really used it to his advantage and they just basically explained it away of he didn't know how to use it yet. Right. You know, he has it and it warns him of danger, kind of. And so he's now just starting to to understand how it works. Right. And so I'm glad that they've they've at least acknowledged it now mm-hmm. and he can use that to fight fight people in the future. But uh yeah, I I liked uh what you said about the illusion uh scene. It was straight from I think from the the cartoon is how I remembered that that being this when he fought Mysterio there and then also the comics is it's that's how I would have pictured that come to life and I thought they did that very very well it's not my favorite scene that I'm still stuck on on happy with the shield I, <laughs> I just I I, la- I truly laughed out loud yeah and uh, I I enjoyed that and so happy throwing the shield yeah it was good the nod for me Gotcha. I, I will not argue that one. I, I almost put the uh, Led Zeppelin line in there too, because I just don't know why it, it, it fits his character so perfectly that he botches the fact that it's ACDC. <laughs> and that's and that's my uh, that's my number two scene of kind of happy doing the nod that we talked about earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was a great scene. What's one thing you would change? I would add more Spider-Man quips. However, you 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 okay. put it in there, and I know he didn't really have the opportunity to talk to anybody, but that's what makes. To me, that's what makes Spider-Man the hero different. Now, Peter Parker's his own. It's almost like you know you hide behind the internet, and so you're more confident when mm-hmm. uh, you have a screen between you. It's kind of like when he puts the mask on; he it makes him more confident, and so he can joke and you know and make fun of these villains that he's terrified, you know, normally. And there wasn't there wasn't any of that. That to me, that's what kind of makes Spider-Man. They they did that in in Homecoming with the bank robbers, you know. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, oh, I've met Thor, you know, <laughs> or I haven't met Thor, or something right. like that. You don't look like the Hulk, or things like that. Uh, it, it's, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, th- those are funny to me, and that's that's kind of what makes makes Spider Man, and, and they didn't have any of that. In this. So I would have somehow find a way to put those in. Yeah, I agree. I used to not enjoy the quips, but Civil War was really good with the quips. I really liked all the dialogue they gave him 
in that. And that made me for the first time really start to appreciate that unique humor that he has. But like you mentioned, it, when you're going up against a bunch of drones, it's just not possible, I think. So they, they kind of backed themselves into a corner and couldn't really do much with it. So I'd be very interested to see how they would have even remotely started to work those in because it's just not fun talking to robots. Yeah. So your uh, casting change. No, I didn't get my one thing I would change yet. Well, I guess you could do that. <laughs> I, I guess. And actually, it, it ties into uh, something you mentioned earlier about the Spidey senses. I didn't catch this until the second time. And maybe that was my fault, but I didn't realize that what he was doing in the last scene where he's confronting Jake Gyllenhaal on the bridge and Jake Gyllenhaal tries to use his illusions and Spider-Man just powers through them. The first time I thought it was truly just Spider-Man having had kind of enough of enough and really just heightening into his powers and senses and going. And that is what he's doing, but he's what he's actually doing is using all of his Spidey senses. Right. Right. And it's really subtle, but if you watch his eyes during the whole fight, he closes them. I think towards the end he opens them, but for the first little bit when he's attacking, he closes his eyes because the you know the white is gone; it's all black. And my one thing I would change is that I I would have emphasized this a little bit more. Like maybe you just have him like do one of those like slow motion like deep breath and like show his eyes closing really you know slowly so that you know what he's about to do, or maybe you do some kind of visual effect that gives an indication that he's using his spidey senses now to a certain effect. I don't know what that is. I know in like the video games and stuff, they'll have, and, and I think you can lines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you do that. I'm not sure that that's what I want, but I feel like, I feel like they missed the mark a little bit where there could have been this really big moment. Cause you've, you've gone the whole movie with the whole, your Peter Tingle's not working and all this stuff. And I think if you had just done something really small, but really drive home the fact that, all right, you know, cause that, that's one of the coolest things about movies is when the hero finally overcomes something, there's that moment like where, where Neo takes his deep breath and you know, you're like, Oh God, here it comes, you know, and you didn't get that in spider or not spider verse. You didn't get that in, in this final battle. And I, I really, think they missed that opportunity to drive home that oh crap he's becoming full spider-man right now see and i thought they did i because i got that as soon as he said the first time was because he said come on peter tingle you know when he closed his eyes yeah but it wasn't enough and I thought you wanted a heavier peter tingle yeah yes yes i, I wanted it to really <laughs> be this moment of like let's slow everything down and get inside of peter's head and this is what he he's trying to really really focus and even like i said even if it's just this five second moment of him taking a deep breath and you zoom in on his face and he like slowly closes his eyes on his Spider-Man mask and then goes like, I think that would drive home things a lot, lot more. Yeah, I can see that. But I think it, it showed at the end, you know, especially when Mysterio was firing the gun at him, you know, and he stopped it. Yeah. You know, he, it, that it's all, it's all working fine. He is now spider sensed up. Yes, I agree. I think movies just, and I know it's kind of tropish, but that, that moment where you, you can feel the hero like really, really coming into his own, I think that it was missing that moment. Interesting. I thought, I thought that's what they did. Yeah. But you want even more, even more of it. Yes, more. Okay. So now what's your casting, James? <laughs> so I actually, I will probably take a lot of flack for this, but uh -oh. I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot. I think ever since I saw him in Prisoners, I've, I've been on the Jake Gyllenhaal bandwagon. I think he's a fantastic actor. I didn't, I didn't think he was bad in this movie. I thought he did the best that he could. I just feel like he was dealt a kind of a bad hand with Mysterio because there's only so much that you can do with that, especially how they wrote it. 
And I feel like Hall is a, a good enough actor and a big enough name that he could be a top-tier villain for the MCU. Or maybe not even a villain. He could be a top-tier role for the MCU, whether it's good or bad. Logan. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But I just felt like this role was a little bit beneath him. He did everything he could. This is not a fault of Jake Gyllenhaal. Just put him in a different role. So I actually have a couple different options he could have gone with. For for Mysterio? Yes, yes, for Mysterio. Okay. And I, I don't know Mysterio's age, so I kind of picked two different actors. I said if you wanted to go older, you know, than Jake Gyllenhaal, then you could maybe go with somebody like Gerard Butler because I feel yeah. like you don't really need an A-list actor for Mysterio. And then if you want to go with somebody that's more probably Jake Gyllenhaal's age or a little bit younger, you could go with Dan Stevens. He's still kind of got that good-looking charm guy that could have been working for Tony Stark and and taken over. So I feel like you need a step down from the star power of Jake Gyllenhaal um, in this role just because of how the character is. So I just tried to, I tried to go down a couple of tiers to, to find my Mysterio, and that, those are the guys I came up with. You think that Gerard Butler be convincing as somebody who invented this tech i don't think it really matters i don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody it's cares. like it's like bruce willis as a surgeon that we talked about in death wish it, it that does not fit yeah but i mean he also had a crew of people that were helping him so it's not like he was doing it all but he invented the illusion tech and then they all combined their little portions to make mysterio happen he invented that. Piece. I don't think anybody's really locked in on that component of it. There was a squad of people that he was the head of that somehow produced Illusion Tech and whatever. I mean, that's what people are going to take away from the Quentin Beck role in this movie. Well, I don't think Gerard Butler's the right choice, but I do agree with you that Jake Gyllenhaal shouldn't have been Mysterio from the exact reason that you named, is you just wasted okay. a A-list actor on a... Well, well, he he made Mysterio probably better than anybody could have, mm-hmm. and um, nothing wrong with his performance. Putting anybody in there, I don't think makes the movie better. But I wanted to save Jake Gyllenhaal for something bigger, um, more ongoing, like you said. Uh, I I still think if we're doing X Men in five or ten years, I think he's a perfect Logan. Um, there's especially a picture of him fighting in uh, the Prince of Persia that nobody saw. So I don't think, think anybody, you know, would, would have seen that, but, but he, <laughs> he like makes a perfect yeah. Logan, I think. Uh, and he's just got the acting chops to pull off really any role. And he was wasted as Mysterio. Agreed. Now, so I, so that was going to be my, my change, but I don't think I was going to make the movie better by swapping him out. That was more of a personal, personal swap out. Because I'm greedy and I and I want more Jake. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about this before where some of our casting changes are like mercy killings, right? It's like, whoa, I'm not trying to make the movie better. I'm trying to save this actor from having to have been in this movie. But that's not what this is for you. That's a, you want to use him later. Right. What I'm saying is you, you, normally when you say our casting changes, right, we're trying to make this actual movie better. But sometimes I feel like my casting changes just get this person out of this movie so that they can be used later, right? You know, like yeah. it was just a misuse of this person. Right. No, I, I agree. But I went with uh, the teachers. Okay. Um, I hated both teachers. Really? Uh, and I think it was the lines that they gave them were so over the top cheesy that they were almost like cartoons. The only line that I liked uh, uh, Smooth with mm-hmm. is when he's. <laughs> He's telling him to 
it's not cool to take pictures of people in the bathroom you know <laughs> yeah, that's good. Like, like the rest of them of, of the ongoing of that's not on me you know that's on you like that none of that was 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 funny um i didn't like the the other teacher i, I don't even know martin star uh, yeah none of the none of the jokes landed uh it just didn't it didn't feel right and i didn't i didn't like it and I thought they took they they kind of they're cringeworthy. They're again over the top. And they didn't fit in this universe to me. They fit in Sam Raimi's universe. Oh. That's how I felt. Hmm. I, I didn't I didn't think they all landed, but I certainly didn't think any of them were cringeworthy. I, I thought some of them were pretty funny. The the one you mentioned earlier about the wife getting blipped away, I thought was pretty good. And yeah, there's some other ones. It it didn't hurt for me, but it wasn't always like a huge laugh for me. I I thought they were over the top and unbelievable as real people, and so. I took them out. So is that like is that an acting problem or a or a writing problem? Oh, I think it's absolutely a writing problem. But they were the ones who delivered said lines, so they got removed. <laughs> so then, who did you replace them with to read the same exact bad jokes? Um. Well, I. I <laughs> so I started with this, and I was like, it doesn't really because I thought the same thing. You know, it's probably the writing, but some people that would, uh, you know, I went straight straight comedians. I went. Uh, <laughs> some of my personal favorites i went uh will ferrell and uh, kevin hart because I, I laugh uh, when i see them on screen i don't know and i think that they they riff kevin hart obviously is still in the middle of his star power when he's you know teamed up with the rock but i think i think the will ferrell bandwagon has uh long long past yeah but i'm not giving him a major role he's just a little bit teacher role and he's if you if you want stupid cheesy lines he's gonna make those stupid cheesy lines actually funny and uh, and just looking at it makes me laugh. So that's why they 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 got put in there. And I, and I think both of them, even if given crappy lines, they would find a way to make those better. And it, it'd be funnier. Possibly. Yeah. Now, do you have the budget to, to throw those two in there? Absolutely not. And would they take roles that have two lines? Probably not. But I, did, I thought both times watching the movie that the teachers were not funny and they, they didn't fit for me at all i thought they were fine I, w- I wouldn't bother changing them but that's mainly because of the writing but I, I didn't i didn't hate them i just thought that they were either neutral or funny at times so i was good with it yeah well, you're wrong so <laughs> <laughs> what, what award did you give this i give this the best peter and mj relationship in any spider-man movie that even counts spider-verse i i think this worked and it worked really really well and it's Obviously, there was no Peter MJ really in Homecoming, and then any of the previous iterations. Just you know, I, I don't care for him. So I, I think that they nailed it. We talked about it, the high school quirkiness. Um, it worked all, all across the board. Really enjoyed it. So that's what I want to give this. I mean, that's a very, very specific. Sure, but we've also seen many instances of the very. Varying... We've only seen one. We've only seen Sam one. Raimi is the only Peter and MJ. Is MJ not? introduced in the amazing spider-man that is gwen stacy well yes i know she was in that i just felt like that that may have came back up but i i honestly i i delete those movies from my memory and then if you count spider-verse you can count spider-verse she's somewhat in there it it was very specific (laughs) well yes but of of all the spider-man content i've seen and that's uh, i guess i would even go beyond i never read the comics but even into the even into the video game i could expand that it's my favorite peter and mj relationship that i've seen in any medium well um i mean mine's my award is is almost as lame as yours but <laughs> he's still he he he's still the best peter parker we've ever got and i think he 
epitomizes what the page does and coming out onto screen and also makes it his own. I think he works as Spider-Man and I hope to see him for many, many more to come. Yeah, Tom Holland is fantastic. He's he's really really nailed the role. It's it's hard to hard to see anybody else taking on this role for yeah. sure. So if you like this movie, what else would you like? Um, I was a little bit torn on this. It was it's, it's challenging, but I, I initially thought Aquaman only because it's the last superhero movie I can remember where it just hops from location to location to location, like every time when, and you know, the word globe trotting came into my mind, but there's so much about Aquaman. That's really drastically different than, than this. And I ended up going up with a different DC movie. I went with Shazam because of kind of family kid feel to it. Now I know that this is more high school and you're, you're focused on them and Shazam is a little bit more of the, they're a little bit younger than high school, maybe ish kind of high school. But it, this feels like a very family-friendly, fun comic book movie that everybody can see and enjoy. And that's kind of how I felt about Shazam. Shazam definitely has problems, and it's worse than this. But I think if you're into the whole, hey, let's not be so serious all the time with comic book movies and have a little bit of fun with it and something kids can relate to, whether they're high school or a little younger, I think Shazam's your thing. It's a worse movie, but sure, I get your, uh, your parallels there. Oh, Shazam is definitely a worse movie, yeah. for sure. I went with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen it, you still need to see it. And I think there's still a lot of people that refuse to see it because it's a cartoon. And they don't truly understand that it's just a great movie. Not just yep. a great animated movie. It's just a great movie. And so I'm giving my, my commercial for this. If you like the Sp- Spider-Man world, I think you'd love Into the Spider-Verse. So. Again, kind of a layup, but people need to people need to get out there and see Into the Spider-Verse, for sure. It's on Netflix now, right? Yeah, exactly. There's no reason not to go see it right now. I mean, it, if you have Netflix, you can see it. It's been out to buy for a while. There's really, really no excuse for not having seen it. And I'm sure there's people out there. My wife kind of resisted for a while of seeing it and then saw it and enjoyed it. But yes, it is a fantastic movie, not just a fantastic comic book movie, not just a fantastic Spider-Man movie, just a fantastic movie in general. Yep. So um, I did my little plug there. (laughs) And another little plug, if you want to go watch Spider-Verse and then come back and listen to what we thought about Spider-Verse, episode 75. It's right there for you. Yeah. Go see it then listen to us. All right. Well, I think that does it for our episode on Spider-Man Far From Home. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Carson, where can they find you on Twitter? At Carson Graff. Are you not spelling it this time? You know, two Fs. There's, there's two Fs at the end. FF is in Frank Frank. <laughs> you know, they're there. So, yeah. There you go. All right. You can find <laughs> me at, at Two Views Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at, at Two Views Movies. And you can always email us at viewsmovies at gmail.com like I mentioned earlier don't forget to subscribe to the show via Apple Google Spotify or wherever you listen make sure and leave us a review on the Apple podcast so that it helps spread the word of the show and I think that's it we will catch you next time what should we do next something good something bad bit of both bit of both